0: Session with Dr. Good evening and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadid Holakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadid Holakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on. Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram, or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show, or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcasts on iTunes. Again, our studio number 3104410555. Wanted to make another announcement for my seminar this Sunday, May 20th from 1 to 4 p.m. at the Olympic Collection. The topic is Communication for Parenting and Relationships. And tickets are available at the door for $40. Again, that's this Sunday from 1 to 4 p.m. at the Olympic Collection. Uh, Very much looking forward to this seminar and hope to see you there. And actually the book of the week for this week that I will discuss in just a minute is very much about communication. But before I talk about that book, the book for this week is Meditation Is Not What You Think by John Kabat-Zinn meditation is not what you think mindfulness and why it is so important and this is actually book one of four that he released this year i believe john kabat-zinn is a leader in meditation specifically he helped develop or he's the founder of mindfulness-based stress reduction mbsr Um, and it's a book looking at what meditation is and what it is not because there are lots of misconceptions about it, and also why it is so important. So, looking forward to uh, finishing this book and talking about it on next Monday's show. But let's get to this week's book, or the week uh, for past the past week. Difficult Conversations: How to Discuss What Matters Most by Douglas Stone, Bruce Patton, and Sheila Heen. And uh, it was actually my first time reading this book. And I'm so happy that I did because I have to say this is one of the more important books I've read in a while. Or I could say there's so much good practical advice for anyone to take from this book. So I I really can't recommend this book highly enough. It's such a good book for anyone to read because you might think, well, difficult conversations, my job or my relationship doesn't need that. But um, you would be wrong because we all need to have difficult conversations and actually the problem is too often we avoid difficult conversations because we're not good at them and most people aren't good at them and most relationships aren't used to having them whether it's a work relationship or a personal one we tend to avoid those difficult conversations or i often talk about the uncomfortable conversations and i mention often how Necessary it is to have uncomfortable and difficult conversations in order to maintain and strengthen any relationship. And in the book, they share a lot of work related anecdotes and stories, but also lots of ones from personal relationships, from romantic relationships to different types of friend relationships and family relationships. And of course, sometimes the intersection. There is one of the big anecdotes they share that goes throughout the book is about friends who also in a way work together and the negative experience that they have. But so again, I just really want to highly recommend this book. And because I thought it was so interesting and important, I'm going to share or devote two segments to talking about the book today. It's possible even all three, but definitely two to look at uh, this book. So to begin with um, difficult conversations, and as they say, a difficult conversation is anything that we find hard to talk about. And so that's what I mean when I say as much as you might think, well, why do I have to read this book or why would this book be relevant to me? It's relevant to all of us. Because in the course of our lives and in our relationships and our professional lives, we're inevitably going to come across difficult conversations, conversations that are not easy to talk about. And too often we avoid these conversations and this leads to uh, more pain, whatever issue is there growing, and oftentimes the disintegration of relationships, whether they're romantic or professional that could be avoided if we have these conversations. And as they point out in various ways throughout the book, often what makes a conversation more and more difficult is that we have been avoiding it. And both the problem has grown and also our emotions related to it have grown. And so by avoiding these difficult conversations, we actually make them more and more difficult, both by the problem growing and our emotions becoming more intense, but also because we are so not used to having them or it becomes so uh, uncommon for us to have these conversations that it feels almost impossible to bring up. Now, what they mention is by reading this book, it doesn't mean difficult conversations become easy because they stay difficult. They're still uncomfortable. And as I've talked about before, You can have lots of uncomfortable conversations and they will become easier, but they're still going to be uncomfortable. Now, they might become more comfortable because one, you get more used to those feelings and two, you have faith that there can be good that comes out of it and that it won't be some kind of disaster or something really bad. But at the same time, it's always going to feel uncomfortable. So they're always going to be difficult. And as they say, I like this analogy they use is there's no way to give a or they say there's no such thing as a diplomatic hand grenade there's no way to give someone bad news or to talk about a very difficult intense subject without there being some kind of damage or at least momentarily damage or for it to have a big effect on the other person so we have to be ready that this book can help you but it's not going to make them easy And it's just going to make it easier to do something that's difficult, but it will still remain difficult. Now, as they point out any difficult conversation, and I should mention, they, uh, the three authors, are from the Harvard Negotiation Project. So they've looked at difficult conversations and mediations and different types of negotiations in lots of different ways for decades and have lots of research that they draw to write this book. Um, So they're definitely experts are people who are very experienced in the field of having these types of conversations and intense negotiations. And so one thing they mention early on in the book is that any difficult conversation that we are having actually has three conversations that are going on while we're having that conversation. And those three conversations are the what happened conversation, the feelings conversation, and the identity conversation. Now, we very often think that we, the most important part, or maybe the only important part is the what happened conversation. Who did what and who's to blame and exactly what happened. And very often we disagree on this part, the what happened conversation. And so they talk about three different ways or three issues that can come into play when figuring out this, what happened. So first we try to get the facts down and very often The facts themselves might not be so important, but we can end up really getting bogged down on them. But the first one in this what happened uh, conversation, the thing that can go wrong, is the truth assumption. This idea, first of all, that I have the truth, that you don't, so I know what happened, and let me tell you what happened. Um... And we very often disagree here. And because we can't see eye to eye, we don't even have a starting point to have the conversation. So I think I know what happened and you think you know what happened. And because of that, we really don't even get the conversation started at all. And I see this happen with couples all the time. They come in to therapy and they want to discuss a recent argument they had. And they have very different stories about what happened. So the husband will share their story and then the wife will share her story, and they are very different. And because of that, they start saying, you're lying, or you're lying, or they want me, as the therapist, to be the judge to stipulate what are the facts and who's telling the truth and who's right about what happened. Um, But as they say, there's three sides to every story. Your side, their side, and the truth, which is somewhere in between. And actually, they also use similar type of language. They talk about um, the third conversation conversation. Or this third story, which is in a way the more truth of what happened, not my side or your side, but this third story, which is really more in between, which is something that an objective observer might notice. But we have to start the conversation by recognizing that although we think we know the facts, really our quote unquote facts are more our experience, our truth and our perspective, but they are not the absolute truth. And I don't think the couples that come to my office are lying or that one of them is lying and the other is telling the truth. I recognize that even of the same experience, the same um, story that they have together, they actually can take two very different stories from what happened. Another issue that we have when we try to figure out what happened is what they call the intention invention, where we think we know exactly why they did what they did. You did that just to bother me and get under my skin. Or you did that just to not give me enough time so I wouldn't be able to do X, Y, and Z. And so we think we know why they did what they did and we feel that this is another truth that we have. But very often, this is, of course, based on assumptions. And the third one in this what happened, which is very important, is what they call the blame frame. And when we have these difficult conversations, very often what we even think the point of them is uh, is to figure out who was wrong who was to blame or at least who was more to blame and that's all we're thinking about you were wrong you're more to blame i was right how dare you do this and you should either be punished or face some kind of consequence and we get so focused on blame and this can be a big problem but as they put it we should try to shift from blame to contribution and recognize that although it might seem like a subtle difference, it really is something significant. As, as they say, uh, blame is more about judging, and it looks backwards, so it's just trying to figure out who is wrong, and let's look at this situation, who's to blame, and who can we get mad at, whereas contribution is more about understanding and looking forward. Let's learn about what happened here and see what we can apply going forward so we don't find ourselves in this situation again. And the focus also is different because when we're talking about blame, it's a very negative judgmental one, as I was just saying, it's about judging. And we want to avoid that. Whereas contribution is something that is obviously hard for us maybe to want to look at that we actually contribute to the problem, but it's more realistic. Almost any situation, I want to say any, but let's just say almost because there could be very, very rare instances where it's not, but in almost every situation, when you have a conflict between two people, both people have contributed to what's going on. Sometimes in subtle ways, sometimes maybe in a more indirect way, as for example, they mentioned one way that we might contribute that we don't realize is that we've avoided a situation or we've avoided communicating about it. So when we look at things, we just say, oh, you did this, but maybe it's because we haven't talked about the issue or we made it impossible for them to talk with us about the issue. And as a result, we really can't have a conversation. And I think this is a really important point to move away from blame to a conversation about contribution. I've contributed, you've contributed, let's try to understand that, how we both have contributed, what we can learn from that, and then we can go forward because we now know some things about that. So shifting from blame to contribution is a very good point they make in this book that I really like, that we can take into any of the interactions we have with our loved ones or with uh, people at work that we all contribute to what's going on. We want to try to better understand what's happening. Now I'm going to talk further about the book, including the other two conversations that are part of every difficult conversation, which are the feelings conversation and the identity conversation, both very important. A bit more about what the authors share in their book, Difficult Conversations, How to Discuss What Matters Most by Douglas Stone, Bruce Patton, Sheila Heen. So I'll continue discussion on that book after the break. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fatty Talaqui. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm talking about the book Difficult Conversations, How to Discuss What Matters Most by Douglas Stone, Bruce Patton, and Sheila Heen. And I was talking before the break that the authors mentioned that in every difficult conversation, there's actually three conversations that are essentially happening at the same time or underlying that contribute or that conversation. The first one is the what happened conversation. The second one is the feelings conversation. And now this is one that, you, as you can imagine, uh, as a therapist and um, someone who talks a lot about feelings, I think is very important. And as they mention, oftentimes we think we should keep feelings out of important conversations especially when it comes to work and they address this several times throughout the book this idea that work should be about rational things and emotions shouldn't get involved well the problem is we're human beings doing work and we're going to have emotions related to what's going on and very often what's at heart in these difficult conversations is emotion or else they wouldn't be difficult really if it was just a difference of opinion and we only cared about Uh, Finding the right solution, and no one cared what happened, then there wouldn't be really a reason to have hard conversations. They wouldn't feel so hard. It's because feelings are involved. There's always going to be feelings involved in a difficult conversation. The even this word difficult really is more about the feeling—is that it feels uncomfortable, makes us feel anxious, or sad, or angry, or whatever other feeling it is. That's really what's making it a difficult conversation. If there were no feelings involved it wouldn't be a difficult conversation. So we can try to pretend like feelings don't need to be discussed or that there are no feelings. And very often we can lie to ourselves and say we don't have any feelings about what's going on. But as they put it, you either have to have your feelings or they will have you. We either have to understand, address, acknowledge our feelings, or they're going to come into the conversation somehow. Either they leak in, as they say, or they burst into the conversation, or if we're feeling very emotional about the issue, we won't be able to listen to them, um, or it just takes its toll on the relationship or our own feelings about ourselves. We can't eliminate feelings from ourselves, from our relationships, from our work. It's part of being human. We have to be aware of them. So the feelings conversation is very significant because without looking at the feelings very often we're going to have very incomplete conversations and won't recognize why they're going so poorly it's because we're not acknowledging our feelings and their feelings and that's something that they talk about that when we're having the feelings conversation you're entitled to your feelings and you should get in touch with them and understand what they are but we also have to be ready to want to understand their feelings and give them the space to share what they're going through and try to understand it And that's very important. So we want to know what we're feeling. Now, what's also important about emotions, and this is something that people, I think, misunderstand when we talk about being in touch with your feelings, acknowledging them, addressing them, and expressing them, is they think that now the feelings run the whole show. So if I'm angry, then I have to yell or make a decision based on that anger. Or if I'm sad, I have to cry or express that sadness to the other person. And that's not necessarily true. Being in touch with your feelings, giving them value, and addressing them doesn't mean you're going to allow them to make your decisions for you. You might get angry, and then once you think about it, realize, you know what, my angry response is because of my own sensitivity to this issue, and I realize what the other person did really wasn't that wrong. And so you actually don't even say anything to that person, depending on who they are, the relationship, and what happened. Or you might have an emotion about... Let's say when we're talking about work, taking on a new project, you say, I'm so anxious about this because I'm not sure if I'm able to do it, but you won't let the anxiety make that decision for you. And you say, you know what? I get that I'm scared. I get that I'm nervous and anxious, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway because I realize it's the right thing to do and I want to do it. And the goal is more important to me. And that feeling I get from finishing it, than the feeling I have of anxiety As we know, people who are brave or courageous, it doesn't mean they don't have fear or they don't have any fear in that moment, but they just felt that whatever it was they were going to do was worth more than their fear, or it was worth doing anyway. So when we talk about letting the feelings into the conversation, it doesn't mean making it just a conversation about feelings, but recognizing that we're talking about something that's difficult, something that's uncomfortable. The feelings are very often at the heart of the conversation. They're very often the most important part. And actually, as they discuss in the book, very often just acknowledging each other's feelings and showing you understand what the other person felt or what they felt based on what you did or didn't do or what happened in that situation, that in and of itself can help take away the intensity of what's going on and make it easier to come to a resolution. It might not change what happened, very often it can't. We can't change what happened in the past, but just by acknowledging our contribution and how it might've made someone feel, that can be a big difference in going forward. When we just tell someone, I could understand what I did hurt you. And especially if we apologize for that, I'm sorry that I hurt you in that way. That could totally shift the dynamic of the conversation. Take it away from it being me versus you to being us together. And that's true whether it's work or a personal relationship. So the feelings conversation, it's always there. And we could try to avoid it, but it's going to cause problems. If we can face our own feelings and understand them and also show the other person that we care, value, and want to understand their feelings, this can help the conversation go much more smoothly. Now, the third conversation that is always going on is the identity conversation. And this is something that maybe people don't think about, that, oh, what does my identity have to do with a difficult conversation? Well, very often difficult conversations, as they put it, can threaten our identity, which is what also is making it more difficult. They talk about three core identity issues that can come up. The first one they mentioned is, am I competent? So this especially is going to be true about work, but also even as a partner or in a friend friendly relationship, you know, who I am, as, am I a good friend, but maybe I'm a, am I a good doctor, good teacher, good whatever it might be, and having the difficult conversation might feel like a threat to that. Your supervisor wants to give you feedback about some work you did that wasn't so good, and now you feel a threat to your identity about who you are as a whatever your job is, and it threatens your competence, and that's going to make you feel even more about what's going on and make it even harder for you to have this conversation or maybe to take in their feedback the next one they talk about is, am I a good person? So someone is upset with us. If you have this strong need to please people and to make sure people like you or to make sure you never hurt anyone, some people can have this identity that I'm never going to hurt anyone. And they actually go through the book and I thought shared some good examples of trying to explain why someone might have these different types of Um, identities develop and be so attached to certain types of things. But if your conversation in your head is, I have to be a perfectly good person and never hurt anybody, then when someone wants to tell you about something you did that hurt their feelings, you might have a very hard time taking that in. And either will get defensive or reject or won't even have that conversation with them. And the last one they mention is, am I worthy of love? Sometimes based on what's happening, we might have a feeling of unlovability. This to me, of course, is very related to things like self-esteem and having self-worth, but sometimes our worth can be tied into things that are coming up in the conversation. And so our self-worth might feel threatened by what the person is bringing up. And as a result, we won't want to have that conversation. So we've probably all had conversations with someone who, for example, Because they're a perfectionist, or maybe even we can say they're a narcissist, they can't acknowledge a mistake or acknowledge any type of weakness, they're not willing to take in what we have to say, and they quickly push it back, and they deny completely what's happening and say, oh, no, no, I didn't make a mistake, somehow it was about you, you made the mistake, or you're making this up, or you're just sensitive, or whatever it might be. And we can see that if that's happening, it's going to almost be impossible to have an exchange of ideas, and exchange of thoughts and feelings because the person is so defensive about that. So we have to check in with our own identity issues. And as they say before you have any conversation, really first you have to check in with yourself about these three conversations, the what happened. What am I assuming about what happened? Do I recognize that my story might be different from their story and that there is this third story, third conversation about what happened? that needs to be had and that I need to look at. The feelings conversation. What am I feeling? What are my emotions about this? And really take time to process that, to understand that, and even be ready to express them when appropriate and in a very clear way. And then also identity conversations. What about my identity might be threatened by this conversation that I might not be aware of or that I want to think about. And with all the conversations, including also the feelings and the identity, one, I want to think about the other person and where they might be coming from. And what's very important related to that when we're talking about the other person is that we want to shift the conversation into a listening conversation. And what that means is I'm not just having this conversation to tell you something, which is how a lot of us enter uncomfortable conversations like this. Oh, I got to give him a piece of my mind, or she needs to know what she did wrong. And I'm just going to tell her all the stuff that I know and feel and because I'm right. And I know that I'm right and I got to let her know. And we just do that rather than recognizing, well, you know what, as much as I think I'm right, there's a good chance that he or she equally feels that right in this, which means that we're both probably in a way, right. And maybe it's not wrong, but we just have different perspectives about what's going on. And so it's very important to shift the dynamic into one of a listening, learning and understanding conversation. I want to understand what you experienced or what happened to you or what you're feeling or what identity issues are coming up. Or I can maybe see my contribution, but you can help me maybe understand it more. And I'm hoping you can see your contribution too. Now, a book like this, some people might read and say, oh, difficult conversations. I'm going to read this and it's going to give me the tools to make conversations easier, almost in a way that they might think they can exploit or manipulate someone using tricks they use from this book. But really, if we're not being authentic and genuine, and they point this out in different parts in the book too, it's not going to work. This isn't about faking that you care what the other person has to say just to get your way eventually. It's about genuinely saying, you know what, I might think I know this whole situation, but there's a lot the other person can make me understand both about what happened, but also especially what happened for them and what they experienced. And that genuineness needs to be there for it actually to work. And also when we say to work, it means that I'm not having this conversation because I want to win, I'm having this conversation because I want to win with that other person and get to a better place. And so they also talk about, we have to know about our intentions and the purpose of the conversation. Is my intention just to tell them what I feel or my intention is just to get my way. And I'm going to pretend like I care what they have to say, but eventually make sure we do it my way. That's not going to work and that's not approaching it the right way. Really, we want to genuinely care what they have to say. And especially we see this with romantic relationships where partners sometimes fight and we get so fixated on trying to win and getting our way and making sure we're the, the victors, the innocent one, and they're the guilty ones to blame that we lose sight that actually what genuinely is going to help us is if we try to work together that even if I win against you, I'm still losing because we're a partnership. We're trying to work together in this relationship. And even in a working relationship, this is a case. We might not always see it that way, but still, if we try to win against the other person, maybe in the short term, we can feel like we got a good result. But in the long term, it's not going to work. So there is a genuineness we have to have in order to make these conversations go well. We have to genuinely respect and care about the other person Involved, And at least want to hear them out. Now, when it talks about, uh, in this book, the intentions or the purpose, it doesn't mean that every situation is a perfect democracy. Sometimes you're the boss and you want to talk to an employee about something. It doesn't mean you have equal say in everything, but it means you want to be clear as to why you're having the conversation and actually clarifying that up front can be good too. If you let the person know, well, I want to talk to you about... What your thoughts are on this but at the end i'm going to make my own decision that's very different from i don't know actually what to do here i wanted to know what you think and you know there's a good chance we're going to go with what you have to do or i want to collaborate on that that's a very different conversation and it's good to know upfront what's going on because if you come to me for advice and i think it's because you want to do what i have to say but actually in your mind you just want to hear what i have to say but you're going to make the final decision Well, if you don't take my advice at the end, I'm going to be really upset because I'm going to say, well, you came to me for advice, but your intention was very different from what I thought it was. So understanding and clarifying the intentions of the conversation can be very good, too, and very important. So this book, as I mentioned at the top of the show, um, is one of the more important books I feel like I've read recently because I think it's so applicable to what I think is such an important topic, having difficult and uncomfortable conversations which I think are absolutely necessary to maintain and to strengthen any kind of relationship that we have. And so in this seminar I'm having on Sunday about communication for parenting and relationships, there will be a big focus on having difficult conversations and how important that is for these most important relationships in our lives. And in the next segment, what I'm going to talk about is one other aspect of conversations which is so important because when we think about conversations, we're thinking about talking, but oftentimes the most important thing we need to do in a conversation is to listen. So after the break, I'll talk a bit about that, but again, I've been discussing the book Difficult Conversations by Douglas Stone, Bruce Patton, and Sheila Heen. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Jalakwi, we'll be right back. Welcome back, talking about the book Difficult Conversations How to Discuss What Matters Most by Douglas Stone, Bruce Patton, and Sheila Heen. Um, and as I mentioned a few times, I really recommend this book highly for anyone to read because it helps us get better at having those difficult conversations, which are so important. And I was outlining a lot of things that they mention about how to have these conversations, what's going on, the underlying themes. And as I mentioned before the break, what I wanted to talk about in this last segment is what's such an important part of any conversations but especially difficult conversations and that is listening very often parents will think and not just parents but especially i see this a lot with parents they think that to be good communicators communicators with their kids they need to be good speakers and they have to give the right lecture or the right pep talk or the right advice, or know all the answers in order to have good communication with their kids. And because of that, actually, they might even avoid a lot of important conversations, a lot of difficult conversations that would be good to have because they're not sure they know the answers or they would know what to say. So I don't want to talk to my kid about sex because I don't know exactly what I should tell them. What if I tell them things that make them make bad choices? What if I don't know Scientific answers to the questions they're going to ask, or if we're to talk about suicide or depression or other significant things, I might not know what to say. And what I always tell parents is you don't have to know what to say. I don't know is a very okay answer, especially if it's coupled with I don't know, let's learn about that together, or I don't know, I have to think about that a little bit, or I'm not sure, but that's a great question. Because a lot of times when it comes to these important issues, nobody really knows. There isn't a lot of absolute truths about some of these topics. And it's better to be realistic and truthful with our kids and say we don't know. And they don't need us to be perfect and uh, to know everything. A lot of us thinks we think we, we do need to know that. And this goes back to that identity conversation, which is one of the conversations that's always going on. This feeling of I have to be this perfect all-knowing person to be a good man or a good parent or a good mother, which is not the case. So we should take some of the pressure off of ourselves that we don't need to be great speakers or to be so wise or to know everything in order to have difficult conversations. In this book, actually, they talk about how you don't need to be eloquent or the people who have uh, the best or are good at difficult conversations aren't necessarily more eloquent because it's not really about that. The way we communicate doesn't come down to eloquence when you talk about these conversations. And very importantly, as I'm trying to emphasize in this segment, a big part of it, or maybe even a more important part of these difficult conversations is listening. Are you listening enough? How are you listening? And especially when it comes to the parent-child relationship, we often see parents thinking that their job isn't to listen Their job is to tell, is to talk. And part of this comes from this mindset that children are these empty vessels that need to be filled with information and wisdom. It's the same thing we see when we look at the educational system as it's been traditionally or done at least more recently in countries like the United States. Kids don't have knowledge. We have to fill them up with knowledge. They are not knowing. The teacher is knowing The knowing person fills up the not knowing person. And so parents have this mentality too. My kids don't know things that I know. I have to give them that information. But we know that this is not really what we're supposed to be doing, both in education or in parenting. And even if we look at the word education, um, it comes from, I think it's the Latin word educar or something, the, the root. I don't know exactly how to say it or exactly what it is, but what it is isn't about filling someone up. It's about bringing out that which is already within someone. So when we're talking about educating someone, it's not about filling them with knowledge and information, but it's actually allowing them or helping them to express what's already there within them. And so the same is true with your kids. Yes. At times you'll talk to them about things and you can share your experiences and your knowledge and information and wisdom in varying ways, but What's more important is actually to help them bring out what's already there within them. So what I always tell parents is that if you're trying to talk about some big issues with your kids, make sure you're having a conversation, a dialogue, not a monologue. So very often parents think that they're having these big talks, but they're not really talks. They really are more like seminar talks, whereas one person is talking, but they're not conversations. So they're not even having difficult conversations or having difficult monologues or difficult speeches. And that's a problem. If you are having an important conversation with anyone, but especially with your child, whatever their age, if you're talking much more than they are, then you're not really having a conversation and you should stop. I actually say you want to make sure your kid is talking more than you. That's what you want to try to do. You want to make sure they're actually the one who's sharing more with you to see what's going on in their head and understand what they're thinking and feeling rather than filling them up with what's in your head. And what often happens when we start a speech or go into one of these monologues is your kid is checking out anyway. I've seen it even in my office where the parent starts to lecture the kid about, let me tell you why this is not good what you're doing. And they go off for five, 10 minutes about what's going to happen in their future and a story about themselves and a story about someone else. And the kid has checked out 20 seconds into what the parent is saying and doesn't even hear a word that's coming out of your mouth. If you want to actually have the conversation, you want to have it back and forth, so you shouldn't be talking for long periods of time and not having your child say something back. You should be listening more than you are talking. If you want to have good conversations with anyone, but especially your kids, You have to become a good listener, not a good speaker. That goes much further. And so, of course, to be a good listener doesn't mean just you look at them and listen. It means you genuinely show that you care and you want to understand. So also part of listening does involve talking, especially as it comes to asking, or in the book they talk about inquiry, about asking the right questions or asking questions. I show you I care about how you feel, what you think, by asking you about that. So what do you think about this issue? You talk to your kid, not just, let me tell you why drinking is bad and this is what, or let me tell you why you shouldn't smoke weed and give them a 20 minute lecture. Try to understand what they think about it. What do they feel about what's going on? And the only way to do that is by asking them, showing you that you care what they have to say. And they'll pick up on that. If you You've all been in a conversation before with someone who shows you they genuinely care what you have to say and they want to listen, and with someone else who shows you that they don't really care and listen. And very often, it's more from nonverbal cues, from their facial expression to their body language, especially something like eye contact. That gives you a feeling of, does this person actually care what I have to say, or are they just asking because they feel obligated to ask, or are just waiting for me to stop talking so they can talk? We can feel that. So if you want to have good conversations with your kids, make sure you're having good listening sessions with your kids where you're allowing them to talk and express what they think and they feel. So listening isn't just about the skills of active listening, which they also discuss in this book. Things like, as I mentioned, having eye contact, but also paraphrasing for example so someone says this is how i feel and this is what i think happened you say let me make sure i got what you're saying straight and you express what you feel like they they said or what they think or feel but it also involves genuinely caring about the person and showing that you want to know and that itself is very important and that comes to the last point that i wanted to make about communication in general something i will emphasize on the seminar on sunday which is that as much as communication, we can look at techniques and we look, can look at skills and we can look at ways of doing things, which can be very, very important, but what really communication boils down to, or what is necessary to have good communication is to have a good relationship. If you have a bad relationship, there is no good communication. It's virtually impossible to have that it's the foundation in a way they feed into each other the better the communication is the better the relationship can be and the better the relationship is the better the communication can be there's definitely a feedback loop and of course it goes the other way too if you have a bad relationship your communication is going to be worse and if you have a bad bad communication the relationship is going to get uh, worse also both ways it's going to go though they affect each other in a negative way or a positive way. And so if you want to have good communication with your kids or with anyone, you have to build a good relationship with them. Even as parents, parents very often they want to share some of their advice and wisdom and usually they're trying to give it too much. But if you do want to give advice to your kids, you need to have a good relationship with them. Because we only take advice from people who we have a good feeling or relationship from, who we feel care about us and understand us. And if we feel like we have some similar values, we have to trust them and respect them. If you have a doctor who you really trust and respect and feels like you really care about them, if they give you medical advice, you're going to take it very seriously. But if some guy down the street just says, hey, you should do this, you're not going to care much because you don't respect them, you don't think they know you or understand you or that they know what they're talking about. We have to have that before we can move forward. And if you feel like someone doesn't care about you and they give you advice, you're not going to care much what they have to say. So if you want to have good communication with your kids, you got to make sure you have a good relationship with them. And if anyone tells you there's magic words, you can say, or magic techniques that are going to allow you to either a get what you want into your kid's head or get what you want out of your kid's head and understand what they're going through or know what they're doing or what they're not telling you about, they don't work. That's not how communication works. Communication is based on the foundation of communication, is a healthy relationship and a strong relationship that you develop. Uh, The same thing is true of romantic relationships. I've seen it all the time where couples think, okay, we have bad communication, so let's just learn how to talk better. Let's learn the right things to say. But if the relationship is so damaged, if there's so much anger and animosity between two people, Even the most perfectly well um, formatted sentences and communication techniques won't go very far. You can say I statements, but if your I statement is I think you're an idiot and you're so stupid and I don't want to talk to you, or I think you're the worst person in the world, it doesn't matter how you put it, it's still not going to work. You need to have a good relationship. And this is something that John Gottman has found in his extensive research on marriages that When you look at the healthy marriages, sometimes they don't use always the right techniques. They might not say everything in the I statements or other types of techniques that we talk about, but they have a good foundational relationship. And on the flip side, all the best techniques in the world doesn't save a marriage where there isn't this strong, healthy relationship between the two partners. So good communication and good relationships are both very much related, and they both take time to develop. They both take work they don't just happen um, by accident and they don't happen just by overnight or uh, quick techniques or quick fixes it takes a lot of work to get there and if you want to have good communication especially with your kids you have to show them that you want to listen to them and when you listen to someone and genuinely listen to them what you're also telling them is what you have to say is valuable what you have to say is important and you are important And what you think and feel is important. That's why it can be so important to get that from someone. And that's even why part of what makes therapy healing is just having someone who genuinely cares to listen, to hear what you have to say, to make you feel like what you have to say is important, that what you feel is important and validates what you have to feel. And that itself can be healing. The therapist can't change anything that's happening in your life, practically or logistically in any way but just by listening to what's going on in your life. That could be enough to help you feel better to then approach the things your life, in your life in a better way. So to be good communicators, to be good at having conversations, we have to be good at listening and we have to care to listen. So today's show was talking about the book, which again I want to recommend for everyone to read Difficult Conversations, How to Discuss What Matters Most by Douglas Stone. Bruce Patton and Sheila Heen. I'd highly recommend it for anyone who hasn't read it before. It's one of those books I know I'll go back to and look at different sections again to see what they said about different things, because there's a lot of great practical advice in here. Uh, So I highly recommend that book. And again, the book for this week is Meditation is Not What You Think, Mindfulness and Why It is So Important by John Kabat-Zinn. And I'll be talking about that on next Monday's show. And I wanted to make one last announcement again for my seminar this Sunday, May 20th from 1 to 4 p.m. at the Olympic Collection. The topic is communication for parenting and relationships. Tickets are available at the door for $40. Again, that's this Sunday, May 20th from 1 to 4 p.m. Hope to see you there alright thank you to everyone listening out there and to Amir here in the studio you've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dolakwi. have a wonderful night